0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, and welcome to the TIFO Football
1: Podcast. I'm JJ Bull, and today I am joined by the mysterious Alex Stewart. Hello. I am mysterious. You are. What's the most mysterious thing you've done in the last three days? Obviously, I can't tell you that. Because it's mysterious. Um, good. This has started weirdly. And then also, we're joined by everyone's best friend. He loves you all as we love him. It's Seb Stafford Lore. Hello, JJ Po. Hello, Seb. Oh, you seem much happier than last <laughs> week. <laughs> <laughs> that is
2: i've recovered from levels of chirpiness no i've yeah. had a nasty bit of bronchitis but i've recovered i've still got a cough and i'm still not sleeping well but i am happy to be on the other end of the illness
1: yes well you know what boys and girls you were in for a real treat we've got a chirpy seb a mysterious alex and there's loads of football to talk about and uh, we're going to do all of that we're going to talk about all the the arsenals and the um liverpools and the man Cities. And all the other things And uh, yeah It's going to be a real treat And if you like treats Well What better treat Could you get Than By going to Theathletic.com Forward slash TIFO What would you get Alex?
3: You get access to Unparalleled sports coverage For how long? I guess as long as you like, really. You,
1: yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, it depends, doesn't it?
1: Alex has gone for the hard sell here. So yeah. what, you, what happens if you go to this mysterious link uh, Alex is alluding to is that you will get a trial to um, read The Athletic and all the many things on it. Like today, for instance, we're recording this on a Monday, you could have read David Ornstein's column and all about how there's some things happening with Erling Holland possibly going to Manchester City and Paul Pogba isn't going to Manchester City that would have been funny though mm-hmm.
2: what else is happening Seb hey so I've been reading uh, Simon Johnson's work on the new Chelsea owner it's been very very interesting yeah it's been on for a while but Simon's done a super job covering it and read a little bit of Charlie Eccleshire and Jack Pitbrook after Tottenham got their draw at Anfield that's been fun and yeah I mean it's a trial, but it's a trial and name only. You'll you'll trial it, and then you'll just you'll be you'll be doing it full time properly. Not trial, just forever.
1: And You're ever. becoming a member of a club, an exclusive yeah. club where it, you do want it, to be a member.
2: A good club, not not one of those bad ones that. You know, yeah.
1: yeah, not like the Marx Brothers joke where you don't want to be part of it. You do want to be part of this club. That's enough of a sell Okay, yes, we need to move on. I need to move and say the thing that Joe always says. Joe always says because he's not here again. We're going to leave you now, in the the cool arms and warm arms of Alex Stewart. (laughs) Of
3: arms.
1: (laughs) Of arms. 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 Of arms. 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 Yeah. Liverpool 1-1 Tottenham. It's written here, form as expected. Liverpool dominated the ball. Spurs happy to play on the counter-attack. What did you think of Spurs' approach to this game, Alex Stewart?
3: Sensible. I think people are predisposed to be annoyed about teams not going for stuff. Just
1: this but, reference to Villarreal? It's and- <laughs> <that's laughs>
3: a general reference. But I think as Eric Dyer pointed out in the post-match interview... You know, Spurs had a very organized defensive system, as you would expect from a Conte side. And they also had patterns that they had clearly rehearsed that allowed them to counterattack. And if you have Song Hyun Min and Harry Kane up front, then there is always a possibility that you only need one or two counterattacks to, to score. And, and it seems to me like Spurs are in a weird position because they are currently well set up to frustrate bigger teams like this. But obviously they're in this top four race. They have aspirations to be better. They have a world-class manager. And so I can understand why there might be some frustration about this, but let's not uh, you know, forget that Liverpool are <laughs> exceptionally
1: good. And the frustration is from Liverpool. <laughs> right. Well, the frustration
3: is partly from Liverpool, yes. But also I think there's this kind of sense of like, oh, teams should just be... You know, Liverpool and Man City are so much better than everybody else that even the best sides have to play this way. And I thought Spurs executed their game plan really quite effectively.
1: There was a... I can't remember who did it on Twitter, so I'm really sorry if it was you. I think it was a coach or someone with an actual UEFA qualification you pointed out that the way that Spurs were building from the back, the, 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 it was a bit, basically a back five with the wing-backs. One of them would push really, the left wing-back would push up really high to be next to Alexander-Arnold. And the right wing-back would, would fall really short. So it became a back four with mm-hmm. the right wing-back, the right centre-back and the middle centre-back and the left centre-back forming the four. And then that meant that basically Robertson... To keep his position, he was caught between wanting to stay near the rest of the back four to keep position or being dragged out towards where the right wing back, who was Emerson Royale, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? So he had that space to cover, which then meant when he did go to that position, they'd be able to get the ball over the top of him into Kulisevsky, who's been so good. So tell me about Kulisevski. He's been great this season.
2: Yeah, he really has been. And I think a couple of things about him, very, very quick, very, very skillful, very direct. Most important quality I think that he has is the contrast that he poses to uh, Harry Kane and Sonia min Like previously, like before he arrived, Conte was typically playing Lucas Mora as the third of his forwards. And Mora is a good player. He's skillful. He's a goal threat. Doesn't provide that contrast. He's right-footed rather than left. Gillespie's left-footed and there isn't a lot of craft in his game he's very direct player like he's i wouldn't say he's a head down kind of footballer but there is an element of the best player in the playground to him because he can beat everybody and so he doesn't quite after he's beaten a couple of defenders he was never quite sure of when the right time to release the ball was release the pass was whereas klusevki very much does and so whilst also having the ability to go past players because he's a big guy as well um and there's a little bit of devilment to him he's not he's a little bit of aggro to his football he's a he's can be a little bit confrontational which is nice but he has this craft and he's a little bit like i suppose his his spurs parallel might be someone like eric lamella um but he's a kind of a bigger bulkier quicker more direct eric lamella but just with some of those creative abilities too and i think just the way that he's he's just a nice foil to that son Kane thing because he actually does something slightly different, and he occupies slightly different areas of the pitch, and his his tendencies on the ball are a little bit different. And he's been great. He's been had a little bit of a lull over the last couple of weeks, but that's kind of to be expected from a January signing. But he's been he's been terrific.
1: What's he? So he's twenty two years old, and mm. in fifteen appearances, including three sub appearances in the league, he's got eight assists and three goals. So that's what you want to call it: eleven goal contributions in twelve starts. That's. I mean, in the Premier League, that's really, really high. <laughs> yeah. He's sort of, it's not think he's going under the radar, because people are, I mean, I like talking about him, and other people have. He's not, he's, he's definitely, like, he is all on the radar, but he's, like, on the outside of it. Like, you know when the aliens are in the, um, you know when they're going through an aliens and they're going through the tunnels, the corridors, mm. and then there's all the aliens coming, and it's like, oh, he's right above us. Kulosevsky mm. is not right above them. He's on the right wing. Another thing about him... <laughs>
2: Is that it feels like, and I say this without using any data or anecdotes to support the point I'm about to make, is it feels okay, like it's, just an opinion it's the best kind of best kind of point to make. It's just the one that feels right. Is that it feels like he's helped the progression a little bit of the ball. Because previously, Lucas Mora wasn't someone that could really collect the ball around the halfway line or deepen his own half with, with that in success or sort of move it up the field with that in success whereas Kulisevsky mm-hmm. because he's so strong and because he's so technical and because he's kind of comfortable he's comfortable just having the ball he doesn't have that compulsion always to run forwards with it it feels like when he collects it and that can be in his own heart things can develop around him and then the ball can move and part of that is obviously, in addition to signing him, Spurs bought Rodrigo Bentancourt, who's uh, he's been really great, actually. He's been excellent since he arrived, and his ball progression is is fantastic. But Kuliszewski takes that box too, and that's allowed a few other things to happen in, in sort of non attacking areas, which has been very nice. Aside from all the the alien stuff that you were talking about, that I was kind of semi listening to.
1: Yes, no, I was I sort of zoned out while I was saying it. Yeah. Do you know another thing I was thinking about Kulisevsky, right? Probably Bentancourt as well as counts for so. Th- I mean, I know, more for Hulosevki. didn't really quite work for him at Juventus, which is obviously top, like, fighting for the title, well, not now, but they, you know, they have been in the past, It's a lot of pressure, That's our level club, I'm not trying to disperse, but I sort I mean, he's going to a, a smaller place, he's going to a smaller level, right, where suddenly he is now able to play that level and get better, it's almost like a, he can turn into the finished article like Harry Kane did at Spurs because if you if you go to if Kane had gone somewhere like man United obviously because no one ever gets better at Man United they would have just turned into dust but kiloseevski now is at the point where he's able to play at the level where you can get into I don't know they're fighting for Champions League sports. does this, this, this make sense what I'm saying right it's easier at a club with less pressure then you like, can become the player that could play at a higher level
2: I feel maybe so I heard a few things about him before you joined Apparently, he struggled a little bit with playing alongside Cristiano Ronaldo. Had a, a difficult time um, as a young guy dealing with the expectation of, you know, Ronaldo's, Ronaldo's pretty demanding, you know, when he wants the ball and where he wants the ball and what he wants his teammates to do around him. And um, Badekan, Spending Court, uh, uh, sorry, um, Kosevsky didn't really thrive under those conditions. Whereas Spurs, I think you're immediately one of the better players. And so he's not the best player on the team, but you're already kind of... You feel secure in your starting place. You're not having to duel with someone like Dybala, for instance, for your, for your role week to week. There isn't the same level of scrutiny. At Spurs, you can probably get away with chucking in a kind of um, an anonymous performance once every couple of weeks at the moment in that kind of... At their current stage, because they're, they're an okay team they're getting a bit better. They might finish in the Champions League places. They might not. But it's not a kind of... People move on pretty quickly from a bad performance. Whereas Juventus... Probably less so. I don't have much experience of what the Juventus fan base is like, but I imagine it's not quite as forgiving. And particularly when you kind of have some um, pretty big personalities in the dressing room to compete with, which he doesn't really, I suppose. So it probably suits him.
1: I've just thought we haven't spoken on this podcast about the Champions League final and the teams who got through to that yet, have we? Or am I... We did a live stream about it, though. We did a live stream, which is not the same thing.
2: Yes. It felt sort of... The live stream was kind of chaotic, if you remember it. We were kind of frazzled. And it had come at the end of a very, very long day. And I think I ended up saying that Kamavinga wasn't very good and very clearly... He was, and I oh, humiliated yes, I myself. You,
1: you, you've made your apology now. It's I, fine. I felt like I
2: needed to apologise for that. Was, that was a bad, bad take. Stone cold take.
1: Well, Alex, now we've got Liverpool are in the Champions League final. And um, this draw doesn't mean they're out of the league title. I think, actually, it's still very, very tight. It's only two points off. If Man city lose a game, then they Three. would climb above them, wouldn't they? Three points. Three points. Oh, yep. oh that's better. Oh, well, I'm all wrong as well. Um, but do you think, I asked this to Seb the other day, do you think Liverpool would prefer to swap winning the league for the, the Champions League, for, you know, if you had the choice? What do you think?
3: Oh, I don't know. I, I think it's a really interesting aspect of football, which is obviously really difficult to talk about with any kind of certainty, but it's the the psychological impact of those two Champions League results on their respective teams. Like Liverpool, you can make an argument for Liverpool going, okay, well, we've got a good chance in the Champions League final and we should focus on that and that's where we should direct our energies and the league title is gone. Or it could provide an impetus. We're still competing on all these different fronts. We've still got the possibility of winning, what is it, the quadruple. We should give everything to all of that. Man City could crush them. I mean, we'll talk about them against Newcastle, obviously, but it's the bit that is hardest, I think, for anybody, whether it's a probably a manager or a player, but also certainly pundits, fans and so on, to get a handle on like, what are the impacts of these kinds of results. I think if you're Liverpool, there is a thing about the Premier League title, I suspect... That's probably why Pep Guardiola referenced it specifically in that post-match interview that he did with BN Sports, which was I whatever. But, you know, giving, giving some niggle to that aspect, you know, focusing on the fact that, yeah, OK, Liverpool have won a couple of Champions Leagues in the last 30 years, but they've only won one Premier League title, unlike us. You know, that stokes the pressure a little bit. Klopp might look at that and go, well, you know, we're three points behind. We're on the same number of games they've got a better goal difference in the Champions League is the thing they can't seem to win. So let's do that instead. You know, it's like, who knows really what goes through any of these people's minds.
1: Well, how about a more TIFO-ish question, which actually suits the podcast, uh, <laughs> rather the, than generic football man. All <laughs> that into a It was fine. It was fine. I want to use the things you know well, though. Um, so, sort of referencing this Liverpool Spurs game and also the Villarreal semifinal, <clears throat> I've read a lot of People who have said that maybe Liverpool didn't play very well in the first half against Villarreal it was like, mm. for me, it's not that they didn't play very well, it's that Villarreal went at them, which is a natural consequence of playing away in a massive semi final. That's just what happens. I mean, you, you can see, you're not, are you not playing well if you're a bit frazzled by a team going straight at you? Mm. Like, I'm I, I trying to work out whether that means you're not playing well or how you can play better by just being more confident, or like against Spurs here. Spurs obviously, um, it's written down in these notes. Even like it's by design that they were forcing them wide to try and cross the ball, and they were yeah. trying to force them, so they knew where they were able to hit them. So it yeah. wasn't that Liverpool weren't playing badly, but they were just being lured into a trap, which well, may or may not have worked. Yeah, a little bit. I I think I think
3: to a degree with this Liverpool performance against Spurs, there were some uncharacteristic sloppy passes that you don't tend to see quite so much with Liverpool. But yeah, like teams, you set your side up particularly if you're playing against a stronger team, to not just mitigate their strengths, but also to, to try to set the game out on your terms as much as possible. And that might be pressing incredibly aggressively particular players. It might be forcing the ball into particular areas. It might be sitting very, very low and compressing the space between the lines. You know, whatever it is that works for you, that's what you're supposed to do. And if that is executed effectively... It's not necessarily harder to coach attack, but I think it's more glaring when a th- when things in attack that you're used to seeing functioning well don't. And that means that not enough credit is given to good and intelligent defensive systems. Also because the narrative, the expectation is Liverpool and City are going to crush everyone, right? Mm. So I, I think it's very easy to go, oh, well, they didn't do it because they weren't on their game rather than a very, very good, as I say, world-class manager working with an excellent squad that is particularly suited to a certain style of play I mean, Spurs can look incredibly effective on the counter-attack they can be one of the best counter-attacking teams in the league for sure, with the players that they have at their disposal so yeah, it's, it's credit to them rather than Liverpool being necessarily that bad
2: I mean, criticism of Liverpool I remember, this is a Spurs team that beat Man City home and away this season And also, you know, took a point off Liverpool at Warhart Lane. They are, like, I think most Spurs fans, myself included, are prone to, to fatalism ahead of these kind of games. But a more measured perspective is that Spurs are built, probably by accident, in a way that suits these kind of matches. Um, and that's been shown again and again and actually look they they, a couple of times they've they've conceded bad goals which have disguised this but their record at Anfield in terms of the performances they've given has tended to involve good moments undone by stupid sloppiness which kind of transcend tactical kind of organization but they've done pretty well at times even if the scorelines and um, feeling that comes after the game hasn't always reflected that
1: well, I think we've talked an awful lot about Liverpool and Spurs now and I'd like to move on to Brighton 4-0, Manchester United. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on there? Like, yeah. So, United, like, they're, they're more or less guaranteed six is the way I see it in the league, right? They, so, and the players have just fallen apart. Well, and West Ham right- might catch them. I mean... Um, but they, they could do. They, could, they, shouldn't. they shouldn't be able to lose sixth place. They've got one game left, I think, now at the time we're recording this. What has Rangnick even done there? Like, it, this, is he doing the right thing? Is he unravelling it now? It's like the, like the jumper's starting to come apart, but he started pulling the threads to get rid of it so they can put on a different jump I don't know what this analogy is. I don't know what they are. Well, I think...
3: I think the problem is they don't know what they are either. And... I think they, I mean, you know, we've talked <clears throat> about this a lot before, but you, you, have, you have a club where, post-Ferguson, where obviously there was in some respects an emphasis on developing players through Carrington and bringing them into the first team, although to a degree that's overplayed on the basis of one particular generation. But it was a thing and it was nice. They don't really have, haven't had for a while, a footballing identity. And by that I mean a style of play that you would particularly associate with them. They're not gag and pressing, they're not positional play, they're not press and possess. They are, let's try and hire some quite good people or in the instance of a couple, some very good people and see what happens is a bit their style, right? And then you bring in someone like Raniuk who is closely associated with a very specific and For what it's worth, very difficult style of play to coach. And you ask him to do that in a very short period of time with a squad that he's not assembled, having not actually coached himself for a significant period of time. So it's like dangling the illusion of identity in front of somebody and then whisking it away and them going, oh, we still don't know what to do. It's that
1: the power of management is often down to things like. It's nothing to do with football, even. It's just management, like charisma, leadership. Can you own that dressing room? Is it too divided already? It's because of yeah. lots of old mismanagement. There's a quote in the, the notes we have. Uh, too much space, too much time. The problem is how to defend as a team. And that is by Ralph Rangnick. So Seb, why is he not, if he's saying these things, that like, he must be trying to fix it in training. What's the issue here?
2: Yeah, not to lean into a kind of a proper football mannerism, but I was watching the first goal again this morning. And I feel like that told me everything I needed to, to know about that team, because if you see, like, there's a before um Cossero scores, there's an initial move which kind of breaks down a little bit, and the ball drops just in front of the Man United penalty box. Now, if you go back and watch this, look at the response of those Man United players to that happening, they just stand mm-hmm. there and watch it happen. Like watch Bruno Fernandes just stand there, not picking on him, it's just kind of he was emblematic of an attitude. And I don't know if this is. Did he
1: then start throwing his arms around and blaming someone else? Because I see him do this all the time. Yeah, I, if he if
2: he didn't do it, then I'm sorry. He's just done it so many times that I imagine he probably <laughs> did. But it's a wonderful goal, and I, I I want to I want to be careful not to um, take anything away from Brighton because it it was it was such a wonderful moment for Graham Potter. and, and um, a couple of my Brighton sporting friends were just so happy and and they deserved it. They were so good. They were so so good. But they. Do the thing that they've been taught, this is the main item of players, and then they don't respond with any kind of enthusiasm or application to kind of the ad hoc situations that present themselves in football because that's kind of, I don't know, beyond their responsibility somehow. It's pretty shameful we been doing it for
1: ages as well. I Remember, like even under Solskjaer, they were the first half they were useless, and in the second half they come out and because they are really good players, they managed to it mm. fix something.
3: <clears throat> well, they busked it for so long on the basis of individual talent, yeah. didn't they? But this sort of thing—too much space, too much time—that the Ranier quote, and and Carl uh, Anker's written a superb piece on the Athletic, which all of you obviously are taking advantage of your free trial. If you're not already subscribers. Uh, you should read that. But it does come down an awful lot to effort. The reason that there is so much space between the lines is because the lines aren't compressing. The, The reason that vertical compactness and horizontal compactness works is because a team is well drilled to get into those positions and works hard to ensure that those positions are correct. And further to that, the reason that teams defend that way and then expand out is because as like Cruyff and many others have said, when you're defending, you want to make the playing area as small as possible. And when you're attacking, you want to make it as big as possible. And yes, that requires tactical intelligence and technical ability and blah, blah, blah. But it also requires effort. Yeah. If you're going to go from small to big, it requires effort, right? And that's, they don't do that. <laughs> it's <laughs> hey, it's I think, really annoying. I think there's a Whereas natural- if you can trust it with Brighton, sorry, I, I, and you're right, Seb, like, like this. This will be yet another post mortem on United, and the, the the corpse is dead. There's no point in prodding it any further. Brighton were exceptional tactically, right? The use of Cucurella as a left-sided center slash was left sided centre back, left winger. Like, yeah. wow, you know. And this is a player who was kind of like a defensive hard nut type of player when he came over from La Liga. He was not this sort of marauding.
1: It's really highly left, rated like, when he came over. He's one yeah, of the yeah. good scouting wins, isn't he?
3: Absolutely. He's he's a very good player, but he wasn't like this is testament to Potter's phenomenal coaching and also the the scouting system run by Dan Ashworth. Yeah, definitely. Kaisido as well, another good example. But these are players who are not just coached to play interesting tactical patterns. This is a team that two or three games ago started with seven central midfielders and three defenders, right? And they're now playing this system. They did that kind of penduluming four at the back, five at the back thing that you were referring to Spurs doing before as well. Like there are full that this team is full of tactical intelligence and complexity and interesting stuff. They also work really fucking hard. They run and they run and they run. And that's why it works, because they know what they're supposed to be doing but they can also be bothered to try and do it repeatedly. I,
2: th- I think it's so good that you brought up Cucurella because he's such a noticeable player on the pitch because of his hair. You see how hard he works to kind of create that dynamic with mm. most, more often than not Trossard down the left-hand side. I think one, one of the things I've enjoyed most about Brighton is his willingness to get into certain positions so that something else can happen which doesn't involve him having the ball. I think that's a really selfless way for a football player to behave, but the exact thing that doesn't happen at Man United. Like if you look at Okay, so that on that first goal like what you'd expect to happen in that situation the ball breaks down in front of the box you'd expect a defense to kind of close in on the player like a fist and to just starve the oxygen take away the space and it doesn't happen and in direct comparison you've got a player making the run purely to drag a defender slightly out of position by a yard or two so something can happen internally like it's a dramatic difference
3: and and teams need these kinds of players and i know we're yeah. jumping ahead and we'll probably talk about it in a bit but I watched the Arsenal game on Sunday and Tomiyasu, who was playing out of position at left back, consistently doing the same stuff, making weird like left half space runs with Jacka pulling outside him or but but this was this was a player who was making those runs irrespective of whether they thought they would get the ball or not, because they knew that by doing so they would occupy opposition players, they would create yeah. space for somebody else. And if it didn't work, like four times out of five, Tomiyasu wouldn't get the ball and he'd chug back to his starting position and he'd do the same thing again because that's what he knows his job is. And he's putting the effort in well,
1: that's the thing to try and link United and Brighton I think you can see uh, Brighton clearly very well coached which is why they perform so well so, well so it's very well coached right with players who are probably far more malleable than they are at Man United so they're mm-hmm. at a certain level that they can take instruction because they know they are against it like their humility ways, it was shown. JJ. it's
2: So it's, it's that's 11, one thing yeah
1: but then that's the, how the coaches, how the coach comes in and can affect that. And it's not just Potter. You know, he's got a team of coaches doing it. ragnick has got his own team. Same things we've seen in Man United have been there for a few years now. So they're slow to start. They uh, don't do the things they're supposed to. They expect that everyone else should be doing the stuff that they're not doing. It's like blaming someone else for some things you haven't done. That seems to always happen. And that's a really hard thing to get rid of. That's not just coaching on the training ground. That's getting rid of stuff all around the club. It's an uh, atmosphere you can't get rid of. But like a lot of things a lot of noise was made of the, the boy Casado he scored that the first goal right? so a really nice hit the way he takes it and people were saying he's going to be a good midfielder and I, and I think you said said as well Seb you think he'd be a good player in in time right so Casado is at the age where he's not the top player he's going to be but people can see he's probably going to be it same Cucurella he's becoming a player that could easily get snapped up by a top team now could easily take him but as part of a team that's developing and can go somewhere now casedo if he this says he's a Man United fan what would, would love to play there because that's what he watched if he'd gone to Man United he would have just turned to dust like the other players because he mm-hmm. would not be able to do it there's no room to develop you've got players like Fred McTominay who were not the finished article when they signed and are just crumbling and that like, sometimes they have good games sometimes they don't because uh, you know you have good games and you're surrounded by good players and you've got all these lads here but you see the difference in like if Graham Porter went to United now the exact same things would happen at United <laughs> that are happening now as they were before uh, yeah it's that's the thing the same like Kulisovsky at Spurs same thing right he's got room to develop and he'll become the player that Juventus know he can become mm. but he's going to be a Spurs player soon but he can only do it because he's gone there Casado wouldn't be able to do it in Man United who they bring in in the summer is incredibly difficult to work out because they sort of need the finished article already who is also at a level they want to step it up. I don't know if they exist. That's all I've got for you. And, and I've I, beaten the panel.
3: No, I, you're absolutely right about all of it. And and I also think that, yeah, obviously, if you're if you're working in the technical scouting department, say at Man United, I suspect there is a degree of frustration. And I say this not knowing anything about this, but... Mm. I would imagine that there is no reason why the people who are working in that scouting team at Man United are not as clever and as good at their jobs as the people doing it at all the other departments. It's just that at somewhere like Brighton, because there is a holistic understanding of the process and there is buy-in from top to bottom, all the way up to the chairman slash owner of that club into how that system should work, those people that are doing the scouting and the analytics and recommending players from the Ecuadorian Prima are being listened to. Whereas at Man United, you can do all of that work and you can flag all of the same people and then you can present them with the list. And they're like, yeah, no, actually, we want to sign Cristiano Ronaldo again on 300 grand a week because that'll say fuck you to ban City. It's like, okay, <laughs> what's the point? I should go and work somewhere else. Like if I, if I was starting to be interested in football for the first time now, and wasn't already a Southampton fan, Brighton is the kind of team that I would look at and go, that is exactly how stuff should be run. It would be really exciting to be a Brighton fan at the moment.
2: Also, environment is what we're talking about because if you talk to a scout, like Alice is right, because the one frustration you always hear is scouts or people who work in data that don't get listened to enough. The other problem is that, say someone like that comes into a club and they have a recommendation to make and the recommendation comes with some follow through from someone up in, uh, further up in the club. But then that player comes into an environment which is not conducive to development, as JJ has been talking about. Then you, because this is the way the big clubs seem to work, have a failure on your CV. It's your fault. It's not that you don't have a pliable environment in which people aren't developed or players aren't given a proper chance. You know, instead of um, Kulisewski coming into a Spurs, and he's much too high profile player to be in this conversation, I accept which using as an example, Instead of him coming into Spurs, having a good couple of months, having a bad couple of games, but everyone's kind of, it's cool, don't worry about it, you're developing, you're growing. If instead of that, you have this kind of hysterical response to, well, you're not worth the money, yet, and you, you shouldn't be allowed to make decisions, and no one should listen to you again and shut up. That's how you you create this kind of perpetual cycle of, I'm not even sure what the word is at May United. It's, it's like, um, it's funny. Nonsense. I, well, it, it is nonsense, but also like, I remember one of the stories from this season one of the conversations has been jaden sancho's form and people like throwing around terms like bundesliga attacks like it's not bundesliga attacks it's the man united attacks like jaden sancho is a brilliant brilliant player has he played at his very best is he responsible in part for some of his failings this season absolutely but is the main problem not the environment into which he's been put and the, the set of decisions which have led to him joining Manchester United in the first place
1: yes of course exactly. it is exactly yeah. it's
2: very interesting isn't it yeah and, and yet it's easier to go scu- yeah Farmers League he's not good enough for my, my my club who have just signed Varane, Sancho and Ronaldo and finished behind Spurs I mean come on
1: well it's gone so well Emmanuel United this season that the captain is now on the bench and they're going to have their lowest ever points total in the Premier League well done everyone they are well done you've really done that very well And I think we should talk about someone else now after a break.
0: This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moment, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me. A Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.
1: And we're back from the break.
2: You didn't. Uh, you didn't do it. Yes, as Joe does that. But but do it. Do it because then it, it sets the tone. Yes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Uh, JJ's his own man. Yeah. Also,
1: let, let the yes JJ, JJ. Thing is mine. <laughs> be JJ because mm? the yes is from is from the office. So Michael Scott does it. It was yes. Uh, anyway Leicester won To Everton Alex didn't watch this No What do you think Probably happened I think
3: Jordan Pickford Made some Great saves uh-huh. And I think Who was playing again Leicester and Everton <laughs> Oh yeah I think I think Leicester Are probably quite bad Despite the fact They've got some good players One of whom They're likely to lose In the mm-hmm. summer In Yuri Tielemans And I think Everton were gritty and organized. And once again, we are praising the performances of Alex Iwobi.
1: He was close. Okay. He was close. (laughs) But the thing is, this is, I mean, if you want to be a football writer... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, from oh, what I saw ask of this, me. I think Seb I think Seb you know this better but this was Football Manhattan again we're doing this too regularly I think this is a bad thing that I think I started they wanted it more Leicester are sort of already the season's gone wrong they're a bit disappointed they want they want to start again um, Everton are clinging to the bottom of the table has Frank Lampard done anything differently is there anything he's doing that's different apart from getting those boys revved up
2: they're a lot better off the ball than they were Um,
1: and there you have it Schalke 3 2 St. Pauli so one thing on Leicester because
2: we haven't talked about Leicester properly for a while but I think it's a little bit more complicated than just wait for the season to end and it will be fine next year just because one of the things that happened in this game as has happened in many 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 other games this season is Leicester Mm -hmm. conceded from a set piece they love that don't they they really really enjoy giving cheap goals away and Mm. one of the things that that troubles me is that yes they've had a couple of injuries but when you've got a problem that coaching can't fix that's a bit of an issue beyond just oh we've got sort of Europa League, Conference League commitments well okay but um, West Ham have had injuries too and West Ham have gone deep into European competition too with a very thin squad and um, they've been pretty good for most of the year. Leicester are absolutely nowhere as a team. Um, and uh, coaching-wise, I don't know, you, you can't pin everything on West for fun and not being there for most of the season. That's all I'm saying. Um, and I also think there's a kind of um, a conversation to be had about the goalkeeper because um, Kasper Schmeichel has been excellent for a really long time. But some of these mistakes are happening too often now. And I think it's, um, you're entering one of those kind of difficult transitions that occurs when a kind of an iconic footballer, at a club starts to sort of um, starts to have a sort of a tenuous place in the first team.
1: Oh, I know um, this all too well. This is exactly the same thing as happening at Aberdeen right now with Joe Lewis. Ooh, tell me, okay. Joe Lewis has been uh, probably the best goalkeeper in Scotland for he was certainly for a little while, but now. Oh, well, the last couple of seasons have started making loads of uncharacteristic mistakes which resulted in Aberdeen's expected goals against not matching their goals against, mm. uh, which tends to be the case where you can tell the goalkeeper's not good because the expected goals against is less than the goals they've let in. That's one little, Then you can look into it and work out that's the thing with Joe Lewis. Interesting that Casper Schmeichel's doing that because you think of him as being Mr. Reliable... For those lads, it's also probably the end of a cycle at Leicester, I think. Yeah, there was also a game, Leicester game, I watched recently,
3: where the commentator said, "Oh, you know, Schmeichel's been outstanding again this season," and I thought, um, "He hasn't." I haven't watched much Leicester, and then I went to the. I think we
1: forgave the occasional lapse in commentators.
3: No, 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 but this this is not what I mean. No, oh. it's I'm not I'm not digging out a commentator for once. But I went and looked at the numbers and so on, and and it's like. I mean, I know numbers don't tell the whole story, but but I think it feeds into what Seb's saying, that we have got so used to assuming that Kasper Schmeichel is really, really good for such a long time that it creates a difficulty in recognizing when he has stopped being as good.
1: Ah, and that's when data comes in handy. And that might be that might
3: be an issue to a degree in the coaching team as well. Or it's like, oh, this is a minor fluctuation or, or whatever it is. Whereas, you know, this is a goalkeeper, clearly, who has started to perform at a lower level than he has consistently done for the previous seasons and that is alarming.
1: Well, it looks like Everton might actually escape this, but I think we should move on to I want to talk about the Schalke thing because I don't know anything I don't know anything about it. So Schalke beat St. Pauli 3-2, and that means Schalke are promoted back to the Bundesliga. Is that a good thing? Why should I care about this, Seb?
2: Um, well, Schalke going back to Bundesliga is a good thing because Schalke are one of the biggest clubs in Germany and the Bundesliga is underpowered this year. It's really great to see less fashionable clubs have their day in the sun. And that hopefully that continues. But you do need, for the sake of competition, you do need the big, powerful, traditional clubs <laughs> there. And Schalke one of those, um Harsfall, Hamburg, they that's not two different clubs. Hamburg and Haasfau are the same thing. They are another case, they might yet go up. But you um I think one of the problems and it's it's a minor point to make alongside Bayern Munich's dominance but one of the reasons why it's happened is because there are quite a few teams in German football traditional clubs who have kind of fallen into cycles of dysfunction and dropped out of the Bundesliga so in the Zweider Bundesliga this season ridiculously you have Hamburg, Schalke, Verde Bremen, like these are all Bundesliga sides and they're all a level below and in the Bundesliga teams like uh, Armenia Bielefeld and Augsburg, great stories. some of them unfortunately Arminia Bielefeld has just been relegated but they're not going to compete with Bayern Munich, they're also not going to compete with that kind of second layer of club um, you know, you sort of, you're, you're, you're British Dortmund, RB Leipzig, um, that, that kind of... That
1: I like you didn't see the, you um, didn't do the... Um, I hold it off on the plurals. You yeah. didn't make it plural. Yeah, yet. yeah, <laughs> I, I, I could feel myself
2: approaching it and I was going to... I thought you we were gonna go for it and I would yeah, have no, lost no, respect. No,
1: no, 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 I would have lost no, respect for no, no. you.
2: Yeah. But this was a great game. So um, I desperately wanted St. Pauli to go up. Uh, not going to pretend otherwise. My wife supports them. And they went two up. Unfortunately, um, ahead of this game, they were, uh, they'd were had nine COVID absences. They lost Guido Bergstolo as their top scorer. Their first choice goalkeeper was out. They lost a the centre back. They were running on empty and they've had a wonderful season. It's just that they've probably got 12 or 13 first team players who are who were good enough to get them promotion. And as soon as a couple of injuries happened and Kofi Kure went off to AFCON, they suffered a little bit. But they went two up. Igor Matanovic, who will be at Eintracht next season, Scored two. He's a good player. He's a name to know. But then back came Schalke. Simon Torodo, who's like a... He's like the Zweite-Bundesliga's version of a hard gun. Like, he never stays in the same place for very long. He just... he was at Hard Hamburg last gun? Year. Hired. 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 Hired gun. Um, makes more sense. Scores goals. In build this morning, there was someone saying that he should go to the 2022 World Cup. <laughs> Which, don't know about that. But he scored twice. And then the third goal, look it up if you haven't seen it. Scored by a guy called Rodrigo Zalazar, who was on loan at Sampdoria last season, of all places. He's a really, really, really good player. He's on loan from the Bundesliga, I forget where, but um, I imagine he'll be back in Schalke next season. Watch out for him, good footballer, and fun to watch, does a lot of things really well. Um, but they are up.
1: Oh, You said Running on Empty there, which yeah. is one of Jackson Brown's best songs. And Jackson Brown's very good. Is is that your way
2: of saying that as soon as I said that you zoned out and started hearing
1: that song instead? Just thinking about Jackson Brown Did you know that Jackson, have you heard Jackson Brown's version of Take It Easy? Because he obviously wrote that, the Eagles hit It's got a weird sort of there's a half time drum bit in the chorus doesn't quite work for me Can you you sing a little bit of it please? No but you see how good the Eagles were you just see how good the Eagles really were even though they're essentially covering a song, they weren't covering it You know, Brown wrote it so they could have it My God, they were good. Love the eagles.
0: When sweet tarts dared to combine sweet and tart, they thought, why stop there? Why not create other exciting and unexpected combinations like rainbows and ropes or fruity and gummy or chewy and more chewy? That's why they created fun treats like Sweet Tarts Twisted Rainbow Ropes, Gummies Fruity Splits, and Chewy Fusions. When you dare to combine, it's sure to blow your mind. Sweet Tarts. Dare to Combine. Visit SweetTartsCandy.com to shop now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial.
1: No eagles here. No
0: eagles. No
1: eagles here because the eagles are Crystal Palace, aren't they? This they is- should play eagles songs when they come out. <coughs> Crystal Palace. Why don't they?
2: Because I play Glad all over.
1: Or they should play. The, I know, but they should play the Birds of War song from It's Always Sunny as well. <laughs> Glad I think I'll start- No, Glad all over. if they could combine the Birds of War song and the Eagles. Oh. Ah, um, all right. Uh, what's written in the notes here, the tactical the d- deep analysis of Arsenal 2-1 Leeds is Leeds in the first half are absolutely shit, and I agree <laughs> wholeheartedly with whoever wrote that sentence. Was that, that you, Alex? That
3: was me. Yeah, yes. they were.
1: What on earth is going on there? Like, I mean, it's it just falls from, I think, like, so if anyone hasn't seen what happens, it's described, it's described as a horror moment from um, uh, Melier, the goalkeeper, and it sort of is. So he, he gets passed the ball back to him by Luke Ayling, um, he takes a touch It's just Slightly too loose It's mm. just not a perfect touch And that alone Is uh, Enough for Nketiah Who's positioned perfectly So well To accelerate onto it To score the goal And then that just Knocks confidence out of them mm. And then the second goal I can't exactly remember How that happens But it's very quickly after Because obviously They're a bit They're a bit um, All over the place Really Good nice finish, finish that second goal yeah. By Nketiah Pretty nice finish over. Yeah, yeah. yeah I th- It's in the middle of the yeah. goal It's alright Yeah
2: I, I le- in okay. the first half are an embarrassment. The ailing tackle. Okay, so you make the emotional mistake, the mental mistake with the. He, he's the wound the up melee, there,
1: clearly, um, and he's just trying to perfection. leave a little bit in.
2: Yeah, but you're an experienced player, and you know. five like, hundred. know if you tackle like that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you cannot. Like, like, you will say two things. Like, Remember it you'd have probably if you were Leeds going to this, this stretch of the season you think we're probably not going to get anything from Arsenal let's just be competitive build a bit of confidence maybe score a goal come out of it then go and play Chelsea in midweek in, at Island Road and have a bit of a go at them and Luke Ayling you steam into a tackle like that and you get yourself suspended for the rest of the season when you already have a defensive short, uh, I mean, shortage as it is, that's one you thing just, you can't defend it. I think what we should actually you look at in this game
1: it. was um, how so how good Martin Odegaard was. <laughs> and the thing is, so like I've, I think we've all yeah, known about exactly. Odegaard for a long time. I remember watching him play before he went to Real Madrid. Like when he's playing for Norway and was doing mad things for the international team. He was doing he was playing in the main league there as well. Like he started every game. He was a really big player, and everyone knew he had a big talent. Went to Real Madrid. Was playing in Castilla for most of the time. And then, is that the C team? And then B team is slightly different, I think, isn't it? It doesn't matter. He was there trying to work his way up to the ranks. Didn't quite make it Real Madrid because it's too high a level. Probably wasn't quite there. He could 100% And Well, it's hard to develop, right? I mean, it's hard to break through. You have to have ambition. (laughs) You have to have ambition to go to Real Madrid as a youth player. Some of the things he's doing were quite Mesut Ozil-like, where he's clipping the ball over someone's foot Mm. and then dribbling in. He seems to always know where the next pass is. He doesn't. He's not a fixed positional player. He just drops wherever is needed to add the extra man. So they always have an overload wherever he is.
3: Yeah, I mean, he likes he likes the right half space a lot, and drifts across into that
1: position. Look at this data, Mark Carey has. It's him and Saka link up an awful lot, and it's sort of lopsided yeah, that way. Yeah.
3: It it does, and uh, also with um, Cedric pushing up on that side, and it's kind of counterbalanced by Jacka pulling across into the left a little bit more. He just I think the thing I like most about Odegaard, and if if Odegaard adds a little bit more drive to his game, this is not a criticism of him, but that's so if you look at Kevin De Bruyne, right? Who's the best all-round midfielder in the league, then Urdegaard is able to do two of the things that De Bruyne is doing, not quite as well, but almost as well. And the thing he's not quite got yet is the carry the ball through three or four players, which De Bruyne did against Newcastle in probably the best performance of the weekend with mm. Erdegaard against... It's real Madrid as well. best. Yeah. But that link-up play, the ability to know whether it's just a simple pass backwards, a pass across or a deft little touch, the ability to know where to be to link up with others, the ability to feed more dynamic players. Like, Erdegaard is just he just makes the right decisions so much of the time and then has the technical ability to execute that's that. it that's and what it's makes him elite just really really
1: lovely it's to the mental watch. part it's the mentality isn't it I,
2: I think he's a much better player than I thought he was going to be I knew he was creative I remember watching at Sociedad and thinking you are going to I, I kind of resolving not to mm. write him off after that Real Madrid situation but Arsenal has shown him to be a more balletic player than I thought he was and to have a little bit more you know kind of um, some players have a really original craft not just they don't just cut you know reverse passes through a defensive line they don't just you know um, loop balls over top of centre backs they actually have a kind of elegance with the way that mm-hmm. they create chances he's got that he's I mean, really like an Ozil,
1: Ozil that doesn't season, hide from the ball I mean, Ozil was a top-tier player. You can't forget he was really... I mean, I'd say Odegaard would maybe get to that level with his creative output at some point. He's a different kind of player. He's not the same. But he's always looking for it. And I agree with you, Seb. I think I expect him to do much more with it when I first saw him because he seemed like one of these wonder kids who would come through with 18 goals and 15 assists. That's what I thought would happen. But he's not. He's this kind of lovely player, a bit like David Silva was, I suppose. This this is the thing.
3: That's a great comparison. David Silva. David Silva could do those things. But he also, and I think Davitov was an incredibly intelligent player, he knew when it wasn't the right thing to try and do. Yes. And the best players can do it all of the time, but also know when the other players on the team aren't in the right position. Absolutely. And so they then recycle it, they look back. Here's a good
1: example of that- who doesn't do that, I think, was like Paul Pogba, who to sometimes just wants to do the things that only he can do, but he doesn't need to do them in the middle of the pitch and he loses the ball. Or like Neymar trying to do a, a rainbow flick or right. something. I quite like the, that. But yeah.
3: there, there, there should there should be a simplicity to this, and I think yeah. one of the things I love when I watch De Bruyne, who is wonderful, wonderful player to watch, is that he will do he will he will play a simple pass in a weird way. Like I was again watching on on Sunday, and sometimes like the way he's kicking the ball sometimes is really odd. Like he'll hit it with like the top outside of his foot or he'll do it on the stumble. I've noticed this too.
1: And what I think it is, what makes it work. So hopefully I can get this across and it'll make sense. He's breaking the time of what's happening. So, you know, in um, I'll compare to video games because it's my easy go to, you know, like there's set animations that you go to where you take this step so that the animation for the pass will begin at the end of this step because that's the way that it, yeah. it's been built right so the animation has to be that way or like when you make a tackle that's it'll be exactly 1.1 seconds are on there because that's the animation level to broyna i think steps in like stretches a little bit which is risky people are going in with hard tackles and getting really injured and it's like 20 years ago or something he steps in and just stretches just to beat like what everyone else expects him to it's like mm. he acts he operates in his own little time zone mm. and the players that do that are like like Messi does it all the time yeah that's the kind of thing he does um, I'm trying to think of any on top of my head right well, Mario
2: used to do it so Romario if you look at Romario's goals probably you know during his time at Barcelona or you know um some of his goals at Brazil for Brazil sorry every now and again he'd drop in a little toe poke because he'd address a goalkeeper and at the point, if you're a goalkeeper you probably set your stance and, and proportion your weight at the point at which you expect the contact to come which you expect the, the, the shot to be taken and Romario did a really good job of he would poke the ball just before a goalkeeper had a chance to set themselves and you look at so how many of his goals resulted in the distribution of weight being slightly wrong, goalkeeper not being quite in his right position and it's the same thing, obviously a different player with a different purpose but if you mess about with the expectation of when a ball is supposed to be released you create a little bit of havoc and I, I, I think it's a spot on point
1: I'd say because players are players are reading and yeah. they're anticipating what the other person is doing a lot of it is going to be that mental thing where you're tra- trying to read what the person is doing to react like I watched a thing recently with uh, Virgil van Dyke talking about how he defends and he doesn't look at the ball he looks at their eyes that's amazing said, I remember that which is probably really intimidating because then you've got you're running straight at him but he's looking at, at you it's like the Terminator <laughs> <laughs> and uh, not to talk about Terminators again. But then, yeah. There's so a that's one of the things. Controversy we can do without going back
2: on, you
1: know. Uh, we should round this up by talking about Man City 5 0 Newcastle. We already sort of have talking about KDB, who is just unbelievable. Like, he's one of the best players we've had in the Premier League easily. Newcastle weren't bad in this, I didn't think. They were started all right. Know. And then, do you know who's actually really good and probably gets a lot of praise and is also probably on the radar in the same network in, of corridors the that the aliens way. are. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You knew where I was going with that to round up. See, it's a callback to earlier because this is, Love, this is nice. just professional stuff. Yeah, I'm telling you what I'm doing now. This is how you Like podcast, a really right? bad, Stuart Lee, yeah. Um, Joe Cancelo is so good. Yeah. Like, he's amazing. Yeah. Uh, what's it, the stat you've got? Who wrote, who put the stat in? I did that. Oh, like, I've oh, been very diligent you this you so much work today. Yes. Yeah,
3: <laughs> really unusual for me. I did manage to watch, like, five episodes of the Mandalorian as well so it's not been all oh which effort. season
1: the n- newest one uh, oh, not, not a new one out yet is it because it's got Boba second, Fett is it?
3: yeah so I, I watched the end of the first one and the first episode of the second one
1: I like the Mandalorian it's very like good it isn't to, it? Like it compare to. the Mandalorian somehow in analogy to Joe Consilo <laughs> Um, <laughs> he's no. <laughs> well, he he the, has to adhere to the religion of Pep Guardiola. He's very sure. much in tune exactly with that, and yeah. will align himself solely with the positional play principles. He's a foundling of of that. It's, it's Cruyffism, really. Yeah, and he's a part of that. I mean, he's wearing the Man City armor. Yeah. So he's always got that on, but he has taken his mask off,
3: and he's revealed.
1: That he's Joe Cancelo.
3: Oh, okay, that's good. But we knew all along. He's provided the 10th assist of the season in all competitions, his 10th, and Mm. he is the fourth Manchester City player to reach this total, which is the only side in Europe who's done that. That's the stat.
1: Who would Baby Yoda be? Jack Grealish. I knew you were going to say Jack (laughs) Grealish.
3: (laughs) Who I thought actually played all right. Yeah. A couple of pre assists
1: He's very powerful, though, that Yoda. So it could be De Bruyne would be the Yoda sort of character. Do you, have you watched The Mandalorian Servers? It's not No, this has
2: gone entirely over my head. I was going to say De that I, I too big. really, really Love. like the way that Shao Kinsella kicks footballs. The, the contact he makes is always so pure. We were talking about this in the pub during that, the first leg of the semifinal, JJ. That's why he's so good at the bending it in The contact is perfect directions. every time. Yeah. Like, you, you, even, even if you pay no attention to where the ball goes, just watch him kick. Like watch the way he strikes the ball and the kind of the contact he produces It's why it's such a threat from distance as well, and why his kind of passing in that sort of forty-yard from goal area is so good. Like his contact is brilliant. Um, I don't it's, know how City you have
3: got teach that. A couple but... of players that can do that as yeah, well. It's for sure. It was interesting because I, I, I agree with JJ. I thought Newcastle at the beginning of that game I, and particularly that Chris. Would chance which he really should have scored, scored from. that
1: yeah just had put your head through it more they weren't yeah. they
3: weren't competitive because they're playing Manchester City at the Etihad right but they they were decent they were showing up well and it was like at the beginning of the second half City came out and went you kind of taken the piss a little bit by thinking that you might be able to be okay and they completed a hundred and one <laughs> passes without Newcastle compete with doing a single. Successful pass, and they had ninety nine percent possession for the first seven minutes of the second half.
1: I'm so interested to see how they develop that team.
0: What?
1: (laughs) My partner looked up at the TV and was like, "That's not normal,
3: is it?" It's like "Mm, I've never seen that
1: ever. uh, What I was trying to say was that. It'd be, I want to see how they develop it because the players that we keep reading about them being linked with how they want to go forward Newcastle oh Newcastle yeah, yeah. it's because it's they're not going for superstars oh. just yet there's a couple they've been linked with players like Darwin Nunez stuff like that but I think what you see like Alan St-Maximin really we talk talked about them so many times this season and last <laughs> previous season whatever. really fun to watch there's one example where he took on players dribbled past a couple of them just left them hanging nowhere near him and then he just scuffs a shot five yards wide mm. Really fun to watch, but isn't, he's not the player, is he? Whereas when Trippier came on,
3: almost immediately. He gives you actual output. There was like... He's such a good player, Trippier, yeah. There was a a quick kind of one-two exchange, and then there was another bit where, I think somebody, I can't remember which Newcastle player it was, but they they robbed a City player of the ball, fed it out towards Trippier, he was herring up on the overlap on the right hand side and delivered a really really good cross that was superbly defended by Fernandinho. It, it would have found the Newcastle player that was not the one closest to the far post, but the one behind that. Like that's a really good acquisition for Newcastle. It's, it's a player in Tripier who's you know, kind of approaching the end of his career. You know, sort of early thirties. He's going to have a couple of years left at the top level. But so good, so experienced, so professional that he immediately elevates a team. It was so clear when he came on that that happened.
1: Before he got injured, he was scoring free kicks as well. He was really. Yeah. So
3: you need need that kind of bracket. Like, uh, you know, you want to sprinkle in maybe a couple. And Newcastle have this thing, don't they, about entertaining players, about players that.
1: And you'd want to keep some maximum in there, I'd say. Sure. But just like Almiron, Almiron's another one. Something really exciting, but doesn't
2: do anything. I'd be surprised if... When when clubs find themselves in this position, I'm surprised they don't try and buy combinations more. Like if I was Newcastle, you'd think Nunez probably out of reach, but you could probably go to Leverkusen and sign Musa Diaby and Patrick Schick as a little combination. And say, right, we'll take both of them, because then that's like you have a little bit of a jump start on developing chemistry. I don't know if it works quite like that in reality. It just seems a sort of if you have the financials to support that sort of approach, which obviously they do. It's a
3: good way of kind of...
1: I um, mean, they could buy a Real Madrid.
3: <laughs> yeah. There's a, yeah. there, was, there was really good work done by a guy called Ben Darwin, who was a international rugby player for Australia. He was a prop, and then he got a neck injury and had to retire, I think, and started working in rugby analytics instead and and developed a thing where he would look at player combinations. So in rugby, you, you'd look at the halfbacks, the nine and ten, or you'd look at the back row, six, seven, eight. And he found that international teams that had a higher proportion of club-related pairings in particular areas, tended to do better. And it's somebody actually asked it as a question in the comments of the most recent TIFO football show, which was released today. Like, why do we not see that happen more with international teams in football? But also, exactly like you say, Seb, if you've got the financial muscle to go out and buy partnerships, you know, if it's a midfield double pivot or if it's a winger and a striker... That that makes a lot of sense, uh, presuming that that the team you're buying from also plays stylistically in a fairly similar way to the way you want to play. Otherwise, you're just picking up a unit and sticking it into something that doesn't work. But it's a really good idea.
2: I mean, I um, I'm I'm a, I'm a, I'm a rugby league fan, um, more than union now, and I always think of like that that combination, that importing like players into representative teams. So I think about like. <laughs> Um, a Queensland Maroons team during the from you know that kind of era of Origin dominance, they were able to play Cooper Cronk, Cameron Smith, and Billy Slater in the same team. Now in football, like in football terms, it's like there's three decisive points in your team, and across sport it doesn't really matter because it's the same. You have your reference point, and what you're importing is actually the way those players behave in relation to one another. And so if you're able to have that, you can. You have to add systems around them, sure. You have to have like, you know, defensive compensations and all, all that kind of stuff. But it just saves you about six months, surely. Like in a representative team, like uh, say rugby, football, whatever, instead of having to do that kind of accelerated chemistry building that you have to like buy I don't know, climbing mountains or going on kind of marine training camps ahead of a World Cup. You just go right, we're just going to have like, you know, these players all play for each other, play with each other at club level, and then we don't have to do that. Then we have a kind of a baseline level of performance that can be relied upon. I don't know. I, I suppose, obviously, the caveat is you have to be able to afford Patrick Schick and Musa TRP, which is probably £100 million. But um, yes. at the same time, you, you could roll that out and, you know, buy players in twos or threes.
1: Well, do you know what is affordable? Do you mean know it's affordable?
2: Is it The Athletic? Because the that's athletic. Very affordable. It's really If
1: you affordable. go to tifo.com. don't no, buy you that don't. In, in bundles. Just buy the one of those.
2: Like, just just The yeah. Athletic. Don't buy, like, The Athletic and another,
1: you know, subscription to something else. Just buy The Athletic. Don't buy any of the competition. Nah. Only The Athletic. Um, I think that's a good way just to end it because we've been talking for quite a while now. So, yes, with that, I think we've summed everything up. We've completed it. Well done, everyone. Uh, well done, Alex Stewart. Thanks, Cha. That means a lot. Well done, Sepp Stafford-Blower. Thank you, JJ Bo. Thank you to producer Craig. He's over in the corner with no camera on him. Can we do film this, by the way? So you can watch that on TIFO IRL, which you should definitely go to, and you can see the TIFO show that Alex mentioned before, mm. which we put an awful lot of effort into and would like more views. <laughs>
0: so please go and
1: watch that (laughs) on the channel Uh, yeah that's it thanks very much for watching I think Joe's back next week hopefully Uh, we'll see and then yes that's it that's it have a lovely week everyone have a great
0: time toodaloo